Welcome to the Wagging Tails podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Noble Canine, canine behavioural specialists and dog trainers. We provide global online consultations and training, as well as physical training and behavioural rehabilitation within Singapore. On this episode, we have Dr. Amanda Sim. We go quite deep into allergies with regards to our dogs. So the information in this podcast is really, really useful. However, we did record this in the veterinary surgery and as a result, there was a background noise that we couldn't turn off and the sound quality is not as good as I would have liked. But please bear with it and enjoy the episode. On this episode, we... I've got Dr. Amanda Sim from Lamley Vet Surgery. And we're going to be talking about dogs and allergies. So with that, I'm just going to ask you, Dr. Amanda, to give us a little bit of an introduction of yourself. Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Amanda Sim. Uh, I am a general practitioner vet. Um, I graduated about 10 years ago now uh, from Murdoch University in Perth. Um, and I have been um, a GP vet in Singapore ever since. I currently am working in Nami Vet Surgery. Um, and um, I like um, dermatology is something that um, I have a personal interest in because it is a very common problem that we encounter here in Singapore. We see many um, dogs, uh, some cats uh, with allergies. Um, and so, um, because I see how debilitating the condition can be, I feel it is very rewarding um, to be able to alleviate uh, itch um, in that way. And owners are very, very appreciative when they see that their dogs are feeling much more comfortable. So over the years, I've developed um, uh, quite a passion uh, for this area. So I mean, it really is something that impacts a lot of dogs. I mean, I know for myself, we're actually sitting in your surgery with my dog Arbus, who suffers from allergies. And when I see that he is doing better, his whole personality changes. He seems more himself, he seems happier. And with a lot of my clients as well, they might come to me for reactivity issues or aggression issues, if you like. And a lot of it boils down to the fact that your dog is so itchy and uncomfortable that their patience is super, super low. So it's not that your dog's got really an aggression problem, they've got a medical issue, which is why it's so important, and this is something I say to everybody is, before you embark on any behavioural shaping, make sure you've got your dog cleared by the vet, because if there's a medical issue, the last thing you want to do is be putting them through a rigorous behavioural training programme. So even just with my experience with my dogs and my clients, it's such a huge issue, so it's a really important thing should be talking about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I've encountered, you know, many clients after we have um, kind of gotten to the bottom of their dog's allergies and they are much more stable. Um, I feel especially dogs with allergies that manifest um, and they always get itchy and infected ears. Um, I feel like that is something, a condition is actually very painful and uncomfortable for them. Um, and when it's been successfully treated, you know, the dog is like, it's like a new dog, you know, they're so much more comfortable, they're so much more active. 
um, you know, they're so much more engaging with their with their family, and so I, I do think it really makes a, a big difference. Um, I mean, I guess I would uh, compare it maybe to people that have eczema and you know how they can you know really be very very badly affected and affects their quality of life in a very big way. So I see it, um, I guess, in a similar way with dogs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I don't think I've actually spoken about this before, but I know I've spoken about Athos in the first episode we go through his behaviour journey. But and he used to get really bad yeast infections in his ears. And I'd imagine that would get a similar level of sort of discomfort and pain. And that definitely impacted him. So just so that we're a little bit more clear on what we're talking about, because we talk about allergies, everybody kinda has their own interpretation of what an allergy actually is. So would you be able just to explain the basics of allergies and if there's any difference between how dogs experience allergies as compared to humans? Um, yes, yeah, so we see, we, we, so with, um, I guess, usually the presenting complaint when an owner brings their dog in is, my dog is itchy. Um, so that's usually kind of uh, where we start. Um, and with itchy skin, it's then a process of elimination to really kind of get to the bottom of why the dog is itchy. So there's a bit of a, a list to get through um, of different possibilities that we rule out one by one. Um, and so usually we first um, investigate whether or not there are any external parasites. Um, and so we test the skin, we do skin scrapes to check for mites. Um, and so that's usually the first thing. We usually collect samples to check for infection um, because infection also contributes to itch. Um, the infection most of the time is usually a secondary problem to um, an underlying problem such as allergies, uh, but we have to treat that as well. Um, then right at the bottom of the list would be allergies. So there are three, um, I guess three more common um, allergies. So the first would be a flea bite allergy. Um, and so there are certain dogs that are very, very sensitive and allergic to the saliva that is produced by the flea. And so um, if they are not on uh, flea prevention and if they do get bitten by a fly, uh, sorry, a flea, so when the flea uh, bites, it, it injects a little bit of saliva into the skin. And if that particular dog is allergic to it, they will then become very itchy. Um, so that's one type of allergy. So usually we um, investigate that by putting them on what we call a flea trial. So there are certain uh, medications that can be used for that purpose. Um, so we treat them uh, with flea prevention um, and we then give them, you know, kind of one to two months and see how they respond. Um, so that's one type of allergy. Um, the two, I would say, more common types of allergies we see would be what we call atopic dermatitis. So that's an environmental allergy. Um, so that we're referring to things like um, things in the air that we can't see. For example, they are outdoor and indoor allergens. So um, outdoor allergens would be referring to things like pollen from the grass and the trees. Um, that's a lot of dogs are allergic to those things. Um, in the indoor environment, there are house dust mites, um, there are mold spores. Um, some dogs can be allergic to insects as well. For example, cockroaches, mosquitoes, uh, you know, ants. Um, so, so those fall under um, environmental allergies. Um, lastly, another type of allergy would be a food allergy. Um, so these are dogs that get itchy skin whenever they eat something that they are allergic to. So a food and environmental allergy is um, 
a type of hypersensitivity reaction um, that usually involves an antibody called IgE, uh, but it can also be mediated through um, other means. Um, and so those are very common allergies that we deal with um, in clinical practice. Um, there is also a very, very uncommon um, type of allergy, which is a contact allergy. Um, so with a contact allergy, that animal is allergic to something that they are touching. Um, so a lot of people would come in and ask, oh, you know, could it be the, the, the floor detergent that I'm using um, that my dog is allergic to? So a contact allergy um, in, in practice is very, very rare. In fact, I don't see, personally, I've not seen actually a single case of that. Um, and so usually um, I would investigate the other um, types of allergies first, just because they're more common. <laughs> One thing that I, uh, I have seen is when we come contact allergies is because they're so rare, people don't tend to even think of them. And I was working with a dog that had really bad rashes on their stomach and they kept going down that allergy route. But it wasn't actually the fact that the dog was allergic, it was because the floor cleaner they were using was so strong the chemicals were actually burning the dogs. Right, yeah, yes, yes. And a lot of people were like, oh, so they were allergic to the, to the floor cleaner. And I was thinking, well, not really. I mean, anybody that lies on that floor cleaner is going to get burned, yes, is going to yes. get rash. Yes. So it's important to understand that just because contact allergies are rare, doesn't mean that it can't be something else that they're in contact with causing yes. that issue. Yes, definitely. And the other thing I wanted to ask there when I was hearing you, talk about that. A lot of the time you get dogs out in the tropics who are allergic to the grass pollens and grass mites and things like that. Very rarely have I ever seen that in temperate climates. Is that just because of the different types of grass do you think? Or is it something else? Uh, it's quite interesting. I guess I don't have a lot of uh, personal, um, I guess, uh, information about the prevalence of pollen allergies in temperate um, countries, although I am aware that allergy testing is present in many temperate countries, the allergens that are tested for are actually different, so the panels are different and they are specific to that region. Mm. Because the climate is very different, we have different um, flora and fauna and so we see very different types of pollen. Um, and so the testing should be specific to that region that the dog is living in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I feel like because we are in the tropics, it is very hot and humid and so I feel like that in itself is kind of not helpful for skin in general. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I, I, I do think that is a factor why we do see a lot of skin cases here. I mean also another thing is because allergies um, are heritable, so that is a very big genetic component. Um, and so breeding also is a big factor. So whether or not that that is also kind of in play, um, you know, the same kind of genetic pool is, is in a particular area. Um, and so it's just, you know, being passed on from one generation to another. Maybe that's also a factor. Sure, I mean, unfortunately in the tropics and in Singapore especially, you've got a lot of um, basically puppy mouths. Yes. Where they're not ethically changing the genetic panels. Exactly. So that definitely have an impact. And even for our street dogs, our Singapore specials that we like to call them, mm -hmm. the genetic pool for them is getting smaller and smaller and yes. smaller. 
Yes. Because more and more of them are being owned yes. and captured. So yeah. it means that that genetic pool is also getting smaller. Yeah, definitely. So that makes a lot of sense. I guess the other thing is, is that the heat in general, that means if you have an allergic reaction in the heat, it gets a lot worse than it would do if you were cold. I would think so because I mean there is a lot more chance that the skin remains moist. I mean especially if there's an infection and there's discharge, you know, from the skin, um, because of the humidity, you know, it, it doesn't kind of dry out um, as well as in a temperate country, yeah. I would think. Um, you know, so I do think the that you know the climate is a is a factor in some sense. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. So Let's talk about how we identify the allergies themselves. So we know that there's the symptoms of itchiness and things like that. So the different types of allergies are there different symptoms, or is it a case of having to do testing and trials? And effectively, you spoke about the overview of how you test what you test for first before the allergies. But how would you actually test the allergies themselves? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So um. For a, a flea bite allergy, um, there, there could be a pattern to fur loss and the area that the dog feels itchy. So it tends not to be quite symmetrical, um, more often over the thighs, um, sometimes over the flanks as well. Um, and so that's a, a flea bite allergy. With um, a food and environmental allergy, just by looking at the dog, you are not able to differentiate them because the same parts of the body are affected. So quite typically, they would be chewing and licking at their paws. Um, the area kind of like under the neck would be affected. Um, they quite commonly get ear infections. Um, sometimes you get more pigmentation and redness around the eyes. Um, they tend to scratch at their muscle. Um, armpit and groin area can be quite problematic as well. Um, so the pattern of distribution is exactly the same. So you're not able to tell them apart. Um, so when we're investigating allergies, firstly would be to rule out, you know, external parasites, infection, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, then um, we kind of get to the bottom of the list uh, with allergies. And so with the flea bite allergy, we would then put them on flea uh, prevention. Um, to diagnose a food allergy that is no escaping doing what we call a food trial. So that's an elimination diet. So the gold standard um, recommended is to do a single protein, um, a single carbohydrate, home-cooked food trial. Um, and so that's what I would usually recommend. Um, we do it for six to eight weeks um, where the diet is very, very strict. Um, we try to avoid um, doing a food trial with commercial diets because the thing is you see a lot of cross-contamination between different types of diets. Um, and so with uh, manufacturing a diet, it is virtually impossible for the manufacturer to clean, you know, the machine such that there is, you know, there is zero food left. Um, and so when different flavors are made, different brands are made, um, there's a lot of mixing. Um, and so even though you look at the list of ingredients and it may say a certain thing, um, but it's a lot of other stuff that may be in there unintentionally. Um, so that's one thing. Um, during a food trial, um, sometimes we may reach for what we call prescription hydrolyzed diets. So these are vet prescription diets. Um, and by hydrolyzed, what that means is that the uh, food particles within the kibble are cut up into really tiny pieces uh, to a point that they are not meant to trigger um, a reaction. 
Um, so usually I would reach for those if I'm dealing with a very young dog, for example, if it's less than a year old, um, I want to make sure that it is still on a balanced diet. Um, I would probably reach for a hydrolyzed diet, but if I can help it, I always recommend a home-cooked novel protein, novel uh, carbohydrate diet because then we are absolutely sure what you are feeding the dog and there's no chance of cross-contamination. Um, and so the food trial goes on for about six to eight weeks. Um, after this period of time, we then uh, do what we call a re-challenge. So we will then feed the dog the diet it was taking before the elimination diet and we monitor them for about two weeks to see whether the symptoms of the allergy comes back. So do they start to treat their paws? Do their ears flare up? Do they get a rash again? Um, if that happens, usually within a two-week period, then we can safely say that that dog has a food allergy. Um, and so that's how we diagnose a food allergy. Uh, with an environmental allergy, what we usually do is um, what we call a treatment trial. So we put them on medication uh, that helps to treat an environmental allergy um, and we see how they respond. And if there's a good response, we will then try and stop the medication to see whether the symptoms come back. Um, so that, that, that's what I, I usually do. Um, there is also the option of um, blood tests. Um, for a food allergy, um, blood tests for food allergy actually is not accurate. Um, there, is, uh, there are uh, what we call reactivity tests uh, available. Um, so these blood tests do not diagnose um, allergies. Uh, what it does is um, it shows us the reactivity of that dog to certain food items. So the lower the score, the lesser reactive that dog is supposed to be. And so that should be a relatively safe um, item to feed the dog. So that's how we use that result. So it doesn't work in the sense that there is a threshold, say, you know, for, um, for chicken, you know, it has a score on it, 10. That means that dog is allergic to chicken. So we do not in, in, interpret the, spot, uh, the test in that way. Um, so there is also um, blood tests um, and skin tests available for, uh, for um, environmental allergies. Um, and so um, a whole list of allergens are usually tested for. We always correlate those results with um, clinical symptoms. So the dog must show symptoms of um, usually having itchy skin, usually in um, that pattern of distribution that I mentioned earlier. Um, and we look um, at the allergy testing result and we correlate that. Um, so what this means is that if you test any dog, even a dog with perfect skin, you could get some positives, but that does not mean that that dog has an allergy. Um, so that dog needs to have symptoms before you actually do the allergy testing. Mm -hmm. um, so and the point of doing allergy testing and I think we'll go into this a little bit more later, um, would be to then try and desensitize them. Yeah. So yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I mean, for Aramis, we've done food trials and the testing, the blood tests. Um, I found the food trials were quite challenging. Yes. So we didn't, it's the same sort of thing with my day. We talk about what the perfect scenario would be for training or behavioural shaping. But the reality of life is that you're not going to get yes. the perfect scenario. Yes. So for example, even at the moment with Aramis, he's supposed to only be on pork as his normal protein. But the moment my daughter is eating, she will, she's now at the stage where she calls him over to give him food. <laughs> and it's, 
it's really difficult to actually keep that so strict. Yes. yes. So I guess that's why the desensitisation and the the longer longer term medication comes in. Yes. Yeah. So um, I guess we we try our best to be as strict um as we can with the food trial. But there are many different scenarios in, in you know in which case it is you know near impossible. So I always tell people just try your best, um, you know to 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 do that. Um, if you know they say I, I just can't manage, you know, say they have um, members in the family that you know feed them food off the table, and they say you know it is really impossible to stop. Then I, I would say then we might not want to do a food trial because then the result could be inaccurate. Um, if it's not that strict, then what I usually recommend is to, to have a kind of more stepwise approach. Maybe focus on a possible environmental allergy first and kind of deal with that. Then we see, you know, how the dog responds. If you get a very good response, then um, it suggests that maybe there isn't a food allergy uh, present. Uh, you know, but if the dog doesn't respond that well or as expected to treatment for a, a presumed um, environmental allergy, then we may have no choice but to really kind of uh, relook at a possible food allergy. So, um, so, so that's also another way to approach it. So, one other thing that we did try with Arnis was the immunotherapy or the desensitization, and we found that didn't. We went through the course of it, and we found that it didn't seem to have the results that we were hoping, mm -hmm. and we actually ended up having to continue. Continue him on his special diet to ensure that he's manageable. And obviously now you've just looked at him, his skin's looking really quite good. Yes. Yes. But um, that means that even like the the most like scientific way of doing this, if you like, with the, the immunotherapy, that's not hundred percent going to work, is it? No, it's really not hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't think anything is hundred percent. I think. Um, you get the best result when you do a combination of different things. Um, and so that's, um, I guess, what they call a multimodal type of approach. Um, so with allergy testing and desensitization, so this is um, only referring to environmental allergies, um, the success rate, I feel, is probably about 50 to 70%. Um, and so um, I, I would still recommend it, especially for younger dogs, because they have a very long life ahead of them. So the only way to try and cure them of their allergies to successfully desensitize them would be to um, to do immunotherapy. Um, and so what um, what this involves is um, you do the allergy test. So for example, you've done a blood test or you've done a skin test, and you know exactly what allergens in the environment your dog is allergic to. The next step would then be to order in uh, immunotherapy. So for example, if your dog was allergic to house dust mites. Um, you would then order in the house dust mites and put it into uh, immunotherapy um, and expose your dog to it on a regular basis starting with a low dose and kind of increase slowly over time um, and this is done on a regular basis so i usually tell people up front to give immunotherapy about a year at the very least um, to see whether or not um, their dog responds to it by response um, usually what i tell people to look out for would be um, decrease in itch um, and also, um, I guess with the with with how the the, the flow uh, works is for the first two months of immunotherapy, I still keep them on their daily daily medication. Most of them are already on daily medication, um, because if you were to stop medication at that point, 
uh, they would usually flare up because there hasn't been enough time to be desensitized. Um, so we give them two months. Um, after two months, assuming everything is all stable, they are on their daily medication and they are on immunotherapy, that's when I would try to taper the medication. So instead of um, having to give it every day, um, they would give it on alternate day. Maybe we give them another couple of months. Um, and so we wean them off medication slowly. So we're not, we're, we're trying to cure them of their allergies and we're trying to get them off a long-term medication because any long-term medication that you take, although the options that we have now are really safe, um, but we would like to try to avoid it as much as possible. Um, yes, so so that's um, about therapy. So um, I, I, I guess I've seen um, a whole range of responses to immunotherapy. Um, I have seen them not respond, I guess similar to Aramis, where you start them on immunotherapy, but you just cannot get them off medication, no matter no matter how many times you try over, say, like a one-year period. Um, if that were to, uh, the case, I would then say, okay, you know, I think we've given it a fair try. You know, it doesn't seem to be helping that much. If they're still needing daily medication, um, and we tried this for a year, then I would say, okay, you know, maybe let's just stop the immunotherapy. And if they're stable on medication, we would then just continue them on medication. I've also seen the other extreme where um, they manage to be completely off medication and just on immunotherapy alone. I have also seen um, a few cases that were successfully desensitized. Um, so they were actually able to stop immunotherapy at some stage and still be okay. Um, but I would say um, from memory, I think I've seen it once. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is that some dogs grow out of it. I mean, eight dogs used to get quite bad allergies in his, his like, eyes and his muscle. Mm. And then um, we didn't change anything really because it didn't bother him that much. Yes. And it just disappeared over time. Yeah, I guess it, it, could, it could be well that he has desensitized himself. Mm. I mean, if he continues to be exposed to the allergen, maybe over time, you know, his body has just decided not to be allergic to it anymore. Because am I right in saying that allergies are just your immune system overreacting yes. to the stimulus? Yes. Yeah, right. So yes. it's something that it's not actually the, the stimulus that's causing it, it's actually your own immune yes, system. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you see the same thing um, often enough, um, you're hoping that your immune system will actually develop an immunity to it. Um, you know, so dogs that respond well to immunotherapy, owners would actually feedback. Um, when they when they administer the immunotherapy, they actually see that it has an anti-age effect. Mm. Mm. So so that's also something I tell people to look up for. Well, that's the Indiana Jones thing, isn't it? Getting a little bit of snake poison <laughs> continuously, eventually getting better in your thing. <laughs> for the record, I don't think that's actually accurate. Nobody do that. <laughs> so, just to go back to practicalities as well. We're talking about immunotherapy, we're talking about long-term medication, we're talking about food trials. Now, I can say this very confidently from experience. Immunotherapy is expensive. Yes. Medication is expensive. Yes. Food trials are expensive because a lot of these novel proteins are things like crocodile, kangaroo, frog. Yes. It's not just proteins that you can go out and buy mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. And on top of that, you've got to be consistently aware of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's not an easy journey no. for the yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, what would you say if somebody was really struggling with 
cost. Because and as much as I know there's a lot of people out there that say, well, if you can't afford it, you shouldn't have a dog. Well, when you get a dog, you don't expect to have to fork out thousands and thousands and thousands on things like this. Mm. And, uh, and pet insurance only covers so much. So is there anything else such as lifestyle changes or prevention that people could be aware of or people could try and implement, even if their dog's already showing signs of allergies, but they know that maybe they'd be able to go on that short case, a short course of uh, steroids to help get rid of the itch, but longer term, they're not going to be able to fork out 600 bucks a month for the medication. Yes. And that kind of thing. Yeah, so um, I guess it would be good to maybe try and observe if there are certain triggers to your dog's allergies. So for example, um, some dogs with uh, a pollen allergy owners would say, oh, they notice every time their dog goes out and goes onto the grass, it seems to trigger um, the allergy. So they get really red or they get really itchy. Um, you know, so if that was happening consistently, um, it would suggest that there, there is a pollen allergy going on. Um, you know, um, so I guess making some observations to see whether you can try and pinpoint exactly what um, the allergy is. Um, so um, another example would be dogs that have a house dust mite allergy. Um, something that will be quite helpful um, would be um, to vacuum regularly. So anything at home um, that can trap dust could harbor house dust mites. For example, carpets, um, you know, bedding, um, fabric sofas. Um, so I would then uh, recommend more regular vacuuming to just reduce the dust mite burden and sometimes that can actually improve the symptoms. So things like obviously vacuuming, air purifiers, yeah. switching to a leather sofa, mm -hmm. short pile rugs or yes. things like that, that's all yes. something to really think about. Yes, definitely. I mean it's also a good idea to vacuum now regularly with yes. dogs anyway. Yes, true. If we don't vacuum our house, if the three boys in one day it looks like we've got a carpeted house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess also many many people have uh, dogs that don't really shed that much. Yeah. So then they may not need to vacuum that often. Um, you know, but it can be very helpful. Or only one dog. Exposure with. Yes. Um, what other ways to to help? Um, so other things that could help, um, so back to the kind of multimodal approach would be um, topicals. So that can be helpful. So um, using medicated shampoos regularly can help to reduce some of the bacteria or the yeast of the skin. Cleaning ears once in a while. Um, and um, what else? Uh, yeah, so... Um, oh, okay, the other thing I was going to say would be um, certain supplements. So um, things like omega-3 uh, fish oils, I, I highly recommend. Um, because they have a proven benefit in helping um, skin. It's anti-inflammatory, it increases the pressure of the skin um, and things like that. Um, you know, so things to improve you know, the, the integrity of the skin barrier, that there are topical uh, products um, that can help with that. Um, you know, so I guess um, it, it is a good idea to start with those things first mm -hmm. um, because they're usually very safe, um, easy to do, not terribly expensive. Um, so so um, that, that would be a good place to start and kind of um, see whether that um, has any improvement or not. Yeah. Okay, great. So um, what I'd like to do now is, normally we do the listener questions at the very end, but uh, this topic is something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, somewhat similar to the one that we are doing without our guests and that we're talking about reactivity and aggression. 
So basically what I've done there is I've walked off the questions till we've done all three episodes on that topic. But for this one, we got a lot of questions emailed in. We had a few in the comments and different social medias and things like that. So if it's okay, I'd like to take the time and just go through yeah. these questions. Yeah. Okay, so the first question is from Jamie back in Scotland. Can certain dog breeds be more prone to allergies? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, definitely, yes. Uh, we see certain breeds, um, just because um, allergies are genetic by nature, um, and so we do see it in um, some breeds more often. Uh, so some examples to cite would be uh, West Highland White Terriers, usually a big one. Um, in Singapore, we see a lot of allergies actually in Singapore Specials, mm -hmm. which are uh, mixed breed uh, dogs. Um, so those can be quite prone to allergies as well. So yeah, the answer would be yes. So yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier when we came to the, the street dogs, the, the Singapore Specials. Um, it's probably because of the genetic pool. Mm -hmm. It's important for people to understand as much as we so affectionately call them Singapore Specials, they're not actually one breed. Mm -hmm. And as much as there is a limited genetic diversity which is happening for the allergies, they're actually quite genetically vast with regards mm -hmm. to the breeds, yes. if you like. Yes. So that, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay, um, Annie in Singapore, are there any over-the-counter or holistic medication I can give my dog? Yes, so um, as I mentioned earlier, so things like omega fish oils are very good for the skin, so I highly recommend trying that. Um, with holistic medication, I am Western trained, so I guess I don't have a lot of um, experience with things like TCM um, for skin or um, um, homotoxicology remedies. So these are also kind of natural alternative um, uh, remedies um, that some vets do um, use that to treat um, uh, skin problems. So they, they don't actually contain medication per se. Uh, but natural ingredients. Um, so those are also options. Um, topicals would be would be another big one uh, that you can just buy over the counter. So medicated shampoos, um, you know, sprays, wipes, washes, uh, creams, things like that. Um, you could also try those just over the counter as well. Okay, great. And um, this one's from Kristen in Singapore. What steps can be taken to help grass mite allergies? Mm, that's a good one. Um, so it's really honestly quite difficult to avoid them altogether because I feel like that has a big impact on the dog's quality of life. You know, so a, a dog should go out for walks, um, you know, have a sniff. Um, and so that's, um, and so kind of, some people will say, oh, what if I keep my dog at home all the time? Um, so yes, it, it may help because, you know, there's a bit less exposure, but um, I, I usually feel that, like, um, we assess, you know, the dog's quality of life as a whole, and if that dog really enjoys going out, having a run on the grass, um, I feel personally quite sad to just kind of withhold that from them. Um, so it's very difficult to, to avoid um, Holland, to be honest. One thing I would say on that as well is that as much as keeping the dog at home would solve the allergy issue, it's the same as when you suppress a behaviour. 
if you suppress a behaviour instead of actually solving it, there's a different behaviour can pop up elsewhere. So if you're keeping your dog at home, you're solving that allergy issue, but now your dog's not being enriched and engaged yes. to the level they should be. Yeah. So the chances are you can start getting more behavioural mm -hmm. issues. Yeah. Not just because they aren't reaching their activity level for each day, but also because they're now not socialising. Mm -hmm. They're now not exploring. Mm -hmm. And all of these things can lead to real behavioural issues that yeah, people end up struggling with. Yeah, definitely. So, I'd like to make sure people don't feel tempted to do that because they think it's an easy fix. Mm. It'll fix one problem, but another one's definitely going to pop Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, fully, yeah, fully agree with that. So, with that one, I'm guessing that it's very difficult to help rasmite allergies if you're still letting your dog be a dog. Yeah, I mean, I would say then to really consider treating the allergy. So, long term antihistamines, things like that. Antihistamines, um, so. Um, there are actually now quite a few options for treating environmental allergies in terms of medication. Um, so Epoquel is, is an example, I'm sure many people are very familiar with that, um, Aramis is on that. Um, you know, so Epoquel um, is um, licensed to treat allergies um, and it is not a steroid so you don't get all of the kind of steroid side effects um, associated, which is good and recently also has been found to be actually quite safe when used long term. Um, so I would consider medication um, to try to manage the allergies. I think it's important because for me the priority for treating allergies is to manage itch because itch is the thing that affects them the most. Um, if you alleviate itch, they feel much better um, and the skin doesn't get infected and so you don't have to, they don't need repeated causes of antibiotics and antifungals um, which then also have you know long-term repercussions. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's also a very similar question to Sukriti, who asked how to cope with environmental allergies and how to reduce allergen load while still going for outdoors and hikes. It's, it's the same. It's the same answer. Really, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, and and also to consider allergy testing and desensitizing. Mm -hmm. um, so with um, desensitizing, you are introducing the allergen in a very controlled way. Um, and so the body um, hopefully can develop immunity after a while and hopefully if they are successfully then desensitized they can go and run about and you know not not um, have a reaction yeah yeah I mean that's a dream when you've got the family isn't it 100% yeah okay this next one's from Alex in Melbourne Australia is it possible to completely cure allergies in dogs mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, yes, definitely for environmental allergies, um, desensitizing would be the way, the only way to really cure them of allergies. With a food allergy, usually I recommend to avoid uh, the, the food item that triggers a reaction. Um, you don't really kind of um, expose them to it regularly, hoping that they will be cured after a while. Um, so, so really to avoid, if you avoid what triggers the allergy, because it's not easy to do this food, um, yeah. because you know their diets are pretty well controlled, uh, we decide what to feed our dogs. So to just completely avoid feeding them um, what they're allergic to. Um, but yeah, definitely for environmental allergies, the only way to cure would be to desensitize. Look. Okay, and then from Ashwin in Singapore. My dog's ears are red and itchy. Is this allergies? What else could it be? Mm. So we kind of touched yes. on that earlier on, but 
Yes, so many dogs with allergies do have red and itchy ears. So even though it is a different part of the body, but the inside of ears are lined with skin as well. So it is actually part of the same organ. Um, and so many dogs with allergies will get recurrent ear infections. Um, but I would say that not every dog that has an ear infection has allergies. So usually um, we would try to collect some samples from the ears to um, identify whether or not there is an infection. Um, we would then try and treat it with topical uh, medication um, and regular cleaning. Um, and um, if we feel like, oh, you know, the infection kind of keeps coming back, and if it also manifests in other parts of the body, so they're chewing their feet, they're getting brushes in other parts of their body, um, quite likely they have allergies and that's why they have ear infections. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but um, there also could be other reasons for um, written itchy ears. Um, so if, say, they have a polyp in the ear, if they have a rose in the ear, that is physically obstructing um, stuff from getting drained from the ear, then the ear will be very prone to infection. So the dog does not have allergies, um, but you know it, it manifests in a similar way that they get they get uh, frequent ear infections. Um, you know, so um, I would say not every dog with ear infections have allergies, um, but most dogs with allergies may get ear infections. Okay. <laughs> I guess it could also be things like bacterial infections, yeast infections, things like that. Yes, um, and also I must say of ear mites. Yeah, so mm -hmm. ear mites are also some, um, uh, so these are external parasites um, that are contagious, so a, a dog will pass it to many other dogs that it comes into mm -hmm. contact with. Um, and so ear mites um, actually cause them to be really itchy. Um, so usually with that, you see really dark discharge coming from the ears, and they are just scratching and shaking their heads nonstop. Um, you know, so that's also something that, that's separate from allergies, so very treatable though. Sure. And I'd also imagine things like that, it's uh, the more moist and warm the ear is, the more likely they are to get it. So, just to keep it simple, dogs with floppy ears are probably more prone to get these kind of things than dogs yeah, so that's quite a controversial uh, point. Um, I think there has been a lot of uh, research. Um, so a group of people will do research and say, yes, you know, having um, floppy ears do predispose to ear infections, but then another group will then come, come with other other data and say that, oh, actually that's not the case. So I, I feel that there's a lot of kind of back and, back and forth um, um, with that. Um, but what, what does uh, predispose to ear infections would be very hairy ears. So certain breeds have really hairy ears. Um, you know, ears getting wet a lot of the time. So certain dogs, if they swim very, very regularly, they always get water going into their ears. It can predispose to ear infections. So I would say those two things, um, you know, but whether or not the ears are floppy, I feel like um, if they do have allergies, um, so that's more like a, a bit of a breed thing, um, which then ties into the fact whether or not they have floppy ears. Mm. Um, you know, have a bigger impact as opposed to whether the ears are floppy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, doc. So <clears throat> before we completely wrap everything up, have you any practical advice, closing thoughts, steps that you've maybe not spoken about yet to give people advice? if they're thinking their pet might have allergies or if they know that their dog has allergies? Yeah, so I would say to um, always um, get a vet's opinion on whether or not your dog has allergies. So I would say 
dogs with allergies just as a general rule of thumb usually manifest quite early on in life so you usually see them start to develop symptoms within the age of one and five so that's um, a bit of a telltale sign um, distribution of symptoms um, you know is also another big one um, and so uh, there is also a whole range of severity when it comes to allergies from very mild where they get we get a bit of a rash maybe once or twice a year um, you know to the more severe cases where on a day they don't get your medication they will start to flare up um, and so I always treat based on how severe the problem is so not every dog with allergies needs kind of the full workup um, because like what we've discussed, it is a rather long, involved, and costly um, process. Yeah. Um, you know, so I always treat based on how bad the problem is. Um, and also, I guess um, a big thing would be um, how far do owners want to go? Um, what is their approach? You know, to long term management um, and investigating. So there are I guess, many different factors that go into how we manage the case. Okay, great. I mean. The other things I would just like to point out before we wrap up is just to emphasise how important it is that as much as there's a lot of great information that we've just spoken about, if somebody's out there that's struggling with allergies with their dog, please go to a vet. Don't try to manage it yourself. Don't try to buy medication online or anything like that. Go to your vet and get appropriate help. Yeah, one thing I must also add is that a lot of people um, come to me and they will say, I know my dog has allergies, but nothing can be done about it. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess there's, there's also maybe a little bit of a, a lack of um, awareness that there are actually many options available to, to diagnose and to manage allergies long term. So when I, when I kind of go into it, then, you know, people, I guess, um, are pleasantly surprised that there are actually options. Your dog does not have to live with allergies. Um, you know, and so that makes it really sad when they, they, they don't know that actually, you know, things could be much better. Um, you know, so yes, I, I do agree. Um, always, you know, get, get a better opinion because there is so much that can be done. I can completely relate to that because a lot of the time you meet people that have got very skittish dogs, very nervous dogs, and people are just so quick to say, oh, that's just how the dog is. There's nothing that can be done, which is just simply not true. And, your dogs like allergies, if your dog is suffering from allergies or if your dog is anxious and very nervous, their quality of life is being affected. They're not having as good a life as they could do. And because of the stress of that, it could potentially shorten their lives as well. Mm -hmm. The stress is incredibly impactful. Mm -hmm. So it's um, something I can very strongly relate to. I'm sure that you see similar things mm -hmm. coming through here as well. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I just wanted to point out was if your dog is showing any signs of allergies, or even if they're not, if their behaviour starts to change from the norm, get them checked by your vet. Because dogs don't just all of a sudden decide to act a different way. They're not that changeable. And if there's a medical reason, whether that be allergies or something else, it's paramount that that gets discovered first. So I just wanted everybody to bear that in mind as well, because as much as we're talking about allergies here, if we went on about what other things could be affecting our animals, it would be about a year-long podcast, I'm yeah. very sure. Yeah. So with that said, I just want to thank you for being on this episode. 
It's been really interesting. I'm sure a lot of people have got some good information from here. How can people find you and how can they contact you if they want to reach out to you for professional advice or for the clinic itself? Sure. So um, you could check us out on our clinic website. So uh, namibets.com.sg. There is um, a section to make an appointment. So that's one option. Um, you could message us on our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Um, I would say the quickest way to get in touch with us would be to pick up the phone and to give us a call. Um, if the, the clinic is um, is open that day, your call will be answered. So if it's something urgent, um, just pick up the phone and give us a call. Okay, great. So we put all of that information into the show notes as well. And then when we share that out, I'll share that with you and you can do the same. And I just want to encourage everybody listening to stay informed about their pet's health and well-being. Don't just assume that your pet suffering from something is just the norm. Please always get it checked. Please make sure you're doing everything that you can to ensure that they are the happiest and healthiest they can be. Because at the end of the day, we are the ones that have introduced these animals into our house. They didn't ask to come in here, so it's our responsibility to look after them to the best of our ability. And just before we go, I just want to let everybody know that the last episode we did was episode one on dog aggression. The next episode for that is going to be coming out on the 15th and then again the subsequent month after that for the third. So if you've got any questions about canine aggression, please email them into us or messages on the website or on the social medias and we will be able to include those in that third and final episode. We also would like to ask you guys to like and share this podcast. I'm sure, especially with episodes like this, we're getting some good information on here. And I also just want to let everybody know that Noble Canine in the fairly near future is going to be growing and we're going to be doing a lot more online courses and coaching and we're going to be launching an online community, both a public one and a private one for members. So everybody listening, if you're interested in joining that, please look out for it on our socials and sign up so that you can have access to the weekly Ask Me Anything sessions, which are live sessions where you can ask anything with regards to your dog's training or behaviour. And eventually what I'm hoping to do is get guests onto these Ask Me Anything sessions so that we're also able to get specialists that can answer questions like veterinary, like nutrition, like rehabilitation, all of that kind of stuff on there as well. So watch out for that. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. So until next time, guys, have a good one. Cheers. Bye.